week I started a series on the baptism with the Holy Spirit just before my 18th birthday. In fact, three weeks before my 18th birthday, I received an experience as a young Baptist boy. I was raised in a Baptist church. And uh, my mother was a Sunday school teacher. My father was a deacon. I mentioned it last week. And, uh, I, but I went to a church in my city, <laughs> and I received an experience I didn't know existed called the baptism with the Holy Spirit. But prior to that, I gave my life back to Jesus after being in drugs during my teenage years. And uh, gave my life back to Jesus. But when I received this experience, the baptism with the Holy Spirit will be 42 years ago this coming Wednesday, which is September 12th. I received it that evening. It was a Sunday evening. It changed my life. I, I didn't realize uh, what God had in store for me, but I'm just saying it was such a, it was such a, it was such a, an imprint on my life that I've shared year after year as I've been pastoring at Victory Church. I always share messages about the baptism with the Holy Spirit and what it can and will do for you because I know it'll make a huge difference. We are a spirit-filled church here, and we believe we believe that God wants us to have everything that the church in the books of Acts had. How many would agree with that? In fact, Jesus said, the works that I do, you will do also. Greater works than these you will do because I go unto my Father. These things weren't just available for the early church in the first century. They're available for every church in every century, including the 21st century. How many believe that? So we started off last week talking about the fact that Jesus is coming back in Acts chapter 1. In fact, I'm going to switch over here real quickly. Uh, Go to Acts chapter 1 and... uh, I've got a, a couple of verses here at the beginning, but I want to read the whole context and, and just make some comments, and we'll move forward fairly rapidly and get you out of here in a good time. Y'all good with that? Uh, Luke wrote the book of Acts, and Luke was a physician, so sometimes he would give detail that other writers didn't. And then he said this, and um, he mentioned in verse 3 that Jesus presented himself alive to his disciples after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Verse 4, and while staying with them, this is uh, uh, English Standard Version, while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Everybody say baptized. That word is confusing to most everybody I ever talked to. It's actually a transliterated word. A word that's transliterated goes from one language to another with very little change. So baptize comes from the Greek word baptizo. And it literally means to immerse into something. If you're baptized in water, what are you immersed in? If you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, what are you immersed in? Correct answer. So this, I always use this illustration. If you've talked to me personally, I always use it. This bottle has water. I hope it's water. Let's see. No, it's water. I'm good. So there's water in this bottle. It's full of water. So when you're born again, how many know the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you? That's water in the bottle. But the baptism with the Holy Spirit takes Uh, is is synonymous with taking this bottle that has water in it and then sticking it in a big tub of water. Suddenly the relationship this bottle has with water changes. It's not just in it, it surrounds it. This bottle can't do anything without thinking about the context of water if it's in it, right? When you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, you can't think about life 
out of context of Jesus and who he is and the word of God, it makes it so much more real. How many hear what I just said? So Jesus said this, um, you heard from me, John baptized with water. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So they came together. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? The Jews thought Jesus came back, set up his kingdom. He says, not ready yet. And he said, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father's fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when they had said these things, as they were looking on, he lifted up, uh, he was lifted up excuse me, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So Jesus just before, excuse me, he ascended to heaven, uh, told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem They were going to experience some power. You'll receive power. Everybody say power. When the Holy Spirit's come upon you. It was in my notes last week. I don't remember if I mentioned it. We get three English words from the Greek word power, which is dunamis. We get dynamite. Boom. (laughs) Dynamic, which means a charging, just an effervescent power. And then uh, dynamo which is an electric motor that creates energy, actually creates power. He said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So he told his disciples, look, I'm leaving you. And they watched him leave. And then the angel said, this same Jesus that you saw go is coming back just the way you saw him go. So the disciples lived in the light of the second coming of Christ. They thought he could come back. They really thought he was going to come back in their lifetime again. But how many know it's been over 2,000 years now and he's not back yet, but he's promised he's coming back just like he left. And when he left, he said, told the early church, he said, he told those disciples, don't leave Jerusalem, wait for the power to come. Wait for the power of God. 10 days later, they were in an upper room. I mentioned it last week. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, they were baptized with the Holy Spirit and the power of God came on them. The whole reason it came was so that though they could be, their life could be a witness and they could be a witness of Jesus everywhere they went. How many know that's a big deal? And so God said, don't go anywhere without the power to do what I want you to do. The same power that I have, you're going to have. The works that I do, Jesus said, just a few days prior to this, you will do also in greater works than these, do, these you will do because I go into my Father. When Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father, 10 days later, he sent the baptism with the Holy Spirit on a Jewish feast day which represented the harvest system uh, season in Israel signifying uh, the whole reason for the baptism with the Holy Spirit is to prepare us to minister life to others. How many think that's kind of exciting? And so it started in the early church and it's available for us today. Three reasons I'm talking about this. If you've never heard about this experience, I want you to understand it and be uh, open to receive it for yourself. Secondly, if you have received the baptism with the Holy Spirit, do something with it. Just don't let it sit inert in your life. Get busy with God. Let the power of God work in your life again. 
Thirdly, if you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, God wants you to be able to minister this experience to others. How many believe that? So three reasons I talk about this. I do it just about every single year, and I do it on purpose. Now, the baptism with the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came for the purpose of immersing people in God's power, and he's been here ever since. They had to wait for 10 days for him to come. But they're the only group that ever had to wait. Hereafter, if you want to receive Jesus, you can today. How many know that's true? If you want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, you can receive today. You don't have to wait. Is that good news? So now I received that in 1976, and I mentioned last week that when I received this 42 years ago, the world was in the height of the charismatic movement. It was a time from the 50s, 60s, 70s, all well into the 80s where the power of God began to be demonstrated to the denominational world. I mean, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Lutheran, you name it, all were being baptized, even Catholics, baptized with the Holy Spirit, experiencing the power of God, uh, not just in America, but all over the world. And God began to do this in a demonstrative way in the early 20th century, early 1900s, in Azusa Street in California, the Pentecostal denominations uh, were born uh, in the, at the turn of the 20th century. And then all of the 20th century, the power of God began to be displayed in the church of Jesus. After 2000, this waned a bit in the church, but here's the sense that I have. And as I read and talk to other pastors, I'm, I'm hearing the same thing. God wants to stir his people up in his power once again. Because when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back to rescue us. Oh, my Lord, please deliver us. He's coming back for a victorious church that is looking for him to come and is doing what he called them to do. And so he's giving us some power. And I think in the days, months, and years to come, we're going to see the power of God stirred up in a way we never have before. How many could be excited about that? I want to encourage you to get involved. Listen, for us to be able to mention this last week, to be able to counteract the darkness and the negativity of our day, it's not going to get any better in the world. The darkness will get darker. But God said to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 60, he said, the light in you is just going to get brighter. And he said, people are going to be drawn to the light in you. How many want the light in you to turn on strong? Well, it happens with the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And so I believe that uh, we're going to be seeing the power of God in an awesome way. My, my uh, staff team and I, a number of us, seven of us, went uh, to a, a RMAI, Rhema Ministerial Conference. I'm a graduate of Kenneth Hagin School, Raymond Tulsa, way back in 1981. That dates me, I know. But anyway, and so I'm, I'm part of the organization. I was ordained by Kenneth Hagin back in the 80s. And uh, so I've always been with their, uh, uh, their ministry and done things with them. So uh, for the first time, I took my staff to an RMAI, Roman Ministerial Association International Meeting. And y'all, the power of God came. It was awesome. And, you know, I think everybody that came with me said, that's, that's about the best conference I've ever been to. And I have to say, I go to past several pastors' conferences throughout the year. It's the best one. Would you say it, Susan? Even Susan said, that was good. <laughs> And they talked about us needing to get close to Jesus and for the power of God to be demonstrated in the church again. And how many know to do that? You got to line your life up with him. The baptism with the Holy Spirit is one way to do that. My mother received in 1975, and, and uh, my dad was on the deacon board, and two deacons came into our front, knocked on our front door. And most people come in the side. They come in the front door, 
And he opened the door, and they had an affidavit in their hand and said, uh, Bob, they called my dad Bob, his name's Robert. Bob, we would like for you to sign this affidavit that you disavow of the experience that your wife has received because we understand that she was baptized with the Holy Spirit and she speaks in another language according to Acts 2.4. We don't believe that and we want you to sign this affidavit that you don't agree with what happened to your wife. My dad looked at that thing. I mean, he looked at it. He looked at them, looked at it, looked at them and he said, you see that door right there? And he said, don't you ever come in my door with something, I'll never sign that and don't you ask me to do that again. He never disavowed. He never received it himself because he didn't understand. My dad was a dyed-in-the-wool Baptist. God bless my father. He's in heaven shouting, and he's doing better than any of us will ever do in this life, right? But, you know, he understood, and he saw the power of God in my mother's life later in my life and then in other family members' lives. But uh, there are those called cessationists. Everybody say cessation. To cease, uh, to cease something is to have cessation about something. So there are cessationists who believe, and let me just, I'm just being real gut level here. A lot of the major denominations, the Baptists, the Methodists, not ever, not all of them in conclude, but generally speaking, their church doctrine says the Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterian, Lutheran, etc. Well, we don't believe, we believe that all of this happened in the, in the early church. It was for the first century to get the church going. And then after the last apostle died, all of this kind of manifestation station, all healings, gifts of the Spirit, baptism with the Holy Spirit, speaking in a heavenly language, all of that ceased with the first century. And then, but, but, but see, church history doesn't show that. Church history shows if you study, and I've studied these things, every single century since Jesus uh, was raised from the dead and went to heaven, the church has experienced the power of God. And there's always been a segment of the church that has said, God, we want your power, we believe it, and we want to minister life to others. And how many know it's still true today? And so cessationists believe, for instance, here's what they use. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 says, Love never fails. Whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, that is the word of knowledge, a spiritual gift, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. And they say, well, that which is perfect is the Bible. And because now we have the Bible, we don't need spiritual gifts. Friends, that verse is not talking about the Bible. That verse is talking about when we get to heaven, all of the things that we have known and needed in this life, they'll be superseded by, by the one who is all truth, the one who is the sum total of everything you'll ever need to experience in all of eternity. We'll be with him and we'll know, know even as we are known. Is that good news? Until then, God has given us the power of God. And this verse is not talking about spiritual gifts ceasing. It's talking about us going to heaven. In fact, Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost. And they said, well, what do we need to do? Because they, they saw the, uh, the, the 120 in the upper room. They were ministering to the people in Jerusalem. And they heard them speaking in these unusual languages. And they heard them speak in their own native tongue. And they said, what do we need to do? And Peter said, Acts 2.38 Peter was preaching to him. He said, repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you, that's the first century church, and to your children, that's the next generation, and to all that are afar off, that's me and you. We are afar off from the first century. Would you agree? We're the 21st century. Well, it fits us. The promises to you, your children, and to all that are afar off, 
uh, as many as the Lord our God will call. How many know the baptism of the Holy Spirit is available today for the church, for the believer? God, again, wants to stir us up. I thought about this years ago and, and got several uh, analogies about it. You know, what, what, what's easier? Uh, you know, when I'm in Ethiopia, I watch and they have a couple of mules hooked to a plow and they're plowing a big field. Uh, is it easier to plow with a mule or with some of these big uh, turbine diesel uh, big, huge tractors with these big discs on the back. Don't you think the tractor's easier? That's the baptism with the Holy Spirit. What's easier, to live life with it or live life without it? It's a lot more challenging and difficult without the baptism in the Holy Spirit than it is with it if you'll walk in the light of it and do something with it. Life can be different and you can experience the power of God for daily living. How many hear me? What's easier if you're a carpenter and you're sawing a board? I've got hand saws. I used one the other day on something. But I thought, you know, it sure would be easier to use a skill saw, take less time, I wouldn't sweat as much and get as nasty as I got, you know, sawing that little thing with, uh, with the hand saw that I have. Which one's easier? Well, the electric skill saw. That's the baptism with the Holy Spirit versus not being baptized with the Holy Spirit. What's easier when you cut your grass, uh, pushing a push more or a riding lawn more? Of course, yeah. Washing clothes. My grandmother showed me. She had a, in fact, Susan and I had a scrub board that belonged to one of, I think, my grandmother, Horton. And uh, she used to scrub her clothes until she got a newfangled washing machine that washed them. And then she had to put them through this thing and flattened all everybody's clothes out. Remember that? And then hung them on the line. Well, uh, what's easier, a scrub board or a washing machine? You don't have, you know, that's, and so life is much more challenging without the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Can you be saved without the baptism with the Holy Spirit? Yes, yes. Will life be more challenging without it? I would say demonstrably, yes. Uh, can life be better spiritually with the baptism with the Holy Spirit? That's the reason that Jesus told his disciples not to leave Jerusalem until you be clothed with this power because you need not only the word, but you need the power of God as you go make disciples of all nations. There's two illustrations that illustrate the working of the Holy Spirit. All this is in the notes there. You can fill in the blanks as I go. Um, there are two uh, metaphors that are used to talk about the two different ways the Holy Spirit works in the life of a believer. The first metaphor is that of a well. Everybody say a well. Now, you know, we just turn on the tap. We don't deal with wells today. But before the modern generation and before the industrial age, we had wells. And you'd have to, you know, put a bucket down. My grandfather had a well in our yard. And, and you know, you'd roll the bucket down and then there's a well, and you pull the water out of the well. So uh, Jesus said this to a woman uh, in Samaria. He said, whoever drinks, this is John 4, 13, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. She asked him for a drink of water, so he let the thing down and got some water out of the well. But whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never thirst, but the water I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life, or a well of water. So, you know, so when you're born again, how many know the well comes and lives inside of you? How many know when you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you? How many can say, I know the Holy Spirit's living inside of me? Raise your hand. If you're born again, you should raise your hand. The Holy Spirit lives inside of every child of God, every believer. And Jesus said that experience with the new birth and the Holy Spirit coming in, it's like a well. It's like drawing water from a well. And a well quenches your thirst, right? And, but then Jesus uh, was talking at a, a feast, a Jewish feast, 
And he gave the metaphor of a river as to how the Holy Spirit also works in their life. So the metaphor of a well has to do with the new birth, the Holy Spirit coming in and indwelling us. But then Jesus talked about a river of living water. And he's talking about the baptism with the Holy Spirit, John 7, 37. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scriptures have said... Out of his heart will flow rivers, everybody say rivers, of living water. And then it clarifies it so clearly in Scripture, verse 39. By this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so very clearly here, Jesus said the river of living water, that has to do with the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And how many know the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, it blesses us, it enhances our life, it helps us spiritually, but the whole reason God gives that to us is so we can go be a blessing and minister life to someone else. It makes it easier and, 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 and enables us in a more full way to minister life to others. How many think that's pretty cool? So Jesus called it a river of living water. A well you drink from yourself, but a river everybody can get a taste. Now, how many know God wants to use you? Jesus is the person that baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I like, to, uh, in fact, uh, two, two references in the notes. I'll just read one, one in Matthew and one Luke, almost the same here. Um, John the Baptist said, I baptize uh, with water those who repent of their sins turn to God, but someone's coming soon who's greater than I, who so much greater than I'm, uh, that I'm not worthy even to be a slave or carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So the, Jesus is the person that baptizes you with the Holy Spirit. And so I like to say it this way. God has a gift for every human being. How many know that salvation? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, John three sixteen. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. How many know Jesus gave his life for the sins of the world? So God's gift to each one of us is Jesus Christ so we can be born again. We can be cleansed from our sin. We can have relationship and fellowship with God. So God's gift is salvation. But Jesus has a gift for every believer. How many like to receive gifts? Isn't it just cool? If you just, if you just get a box and put some wrapping on it, put a bow on it, go up to somebody and say, I just have a gift for you. I just think you're cool as, as it can be. Can, I just want to give you. Well, thank you. Thank you. Don't you like to receive gifts? So when you come to God, if you're here and you don't know Jesus as Savior, God's got a gift. He's got a box with a bow, and that gift is salvation. Inside that box is salvation. Well, when you come to Jesus and you're born again, Jesus has a gift for you, and it's the baptism with the Holy Spirit. He wants you to be able to uh, be a part of the power that he operated in when he was in ministry. How many hear what I'm saying? There are four clear, distinct uh, passages in the book of Acts, actually five, if you talk about the Apostle Paul, uh, that talk about the baptism with the Holy Spirit uh, in, in some detail other than uh, the day of Pentecost. We just talked about Acts chapter 2 where the people were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Every single person in the book of Acts that was baptized or immersed or placed into a new relationship with the Holy Spirit called the baptism with the Holy Spirit also spoke in heavenly language. And uh, there it bears witness in all of the passages in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 8, this was some years 
after uh, the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, people in Samaria, um, uh, one of the disciples went there and preached the word of God to the people. Philip preached to them. Many of them got saved. And then after they were born again, they sent for Peter and John. Verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem um, heard that the people in Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had only been baptized or placed into the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 17 says, Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. And he's talking there about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Again, when you're born again, how many know the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you? These Samaritan believers, Philip preached to them. They believed in Jesus. They believed what Philip was preaching. And they got born again, and the Holy Spirit came to live in them. But then uh, Philip, his ministry was salvation, but there were others, some of the other apostles in Jerusalem, he sent for Peter and John, and they came down to pray for these same people who had already been saved to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit. For as yet, he said, they had, he had fallen upon none of them. They were only born again. Verse 17, Peter and John laid his hands upon these believers and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't specifically say that they spoke in other tongues or in this heavenly language in Acts 8, but it's obvious they did because there was a guy named Simon who worked in all kinds of uh, black magic and all that who was supposedly saved when, when uh, Philip was preaching. He wanted the baptism with the Holy Spirit, and he said, give me this power that I can... When he saw that the people received the baptism with the Holy Spirit, when Peter and John laid hands on him, he said, I want to be able to do that to people too. And Peter said, you ain't right, dude. I mean, well, what do you think you're doing? No, no, this is not something. No, you, you get this so you can bless other people, not so somebody can think you're something the way you've been thinking about your life all these years. You need to change, dude. But he saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given. How did he see? They also spoke in this heavenly language. Acts 10 is 10 years after uh, the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, and Peter was preaching in this guy named Cornelius' house, and at that time, the Jews didn't believe non-Jewish people could have anything to do with God, and God gave uh, Peter a revelation that God loves Jews and non-Jewish people alike. Aren't you glad that God loves non-Jewish people? How many is a non-Jewish people in the room? Would you please raise your hand? How many Jews do we have in the room? See, God loves all of us, Jew and Gentile alike. Gentiles are non-Jewish people. So Peter was preaching to these people in a guy named Cornelius' house. And it says, even, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, had been poured out on the Gentiles as well, the non-Jewish people for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God they received that same experience 10 years later in Cornelius's house that people received in Acts chapter 2 20 years after Pentecost 20 years news traveled slowly um, Paul was in modern day Turkey a place called Ephesus a seacoast town and um he traveled there, verse 1 of Acts 19, found several believers. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? They said, we don't know anything about that. 
And he said, then what kind of baptism did you have? And they said, well, we've been following John the Baptist. They didn't have internet. They didn't have, you know, fast communication. 20 years after Pentecost, not far from Jerusalem, up in Turkey, modern-day Turkey, they hadn't, hadn't heard that Jesus had come yet. Paul preached to them. They were baptized in the name of Jesus. They were born again. He then baptized them in water. Then, verse 6, then when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They spoke in other tongues and prophesied. See, there's a pattern in the book of Acts that when a person is baptized with the Holy Spirit, the, along with that experience will come an ability to speak in a language that is not your own. And it's a communion, it's a personal communion between you and God. Come back next week. I'm going to give you personal examples and talk to you about what praying in the Spirit is and why it can be so awesome in your personal life. I've done this every day for 42 years. And y'all, I have pertinent, specific examples in my own life that continue to take place as a result of being baptized with the Holy Spirit and being able to pray this way. And I just want you to know it's an awesome, awesome, awesome experience. You say, well, Pastor, if this is true, that I'm a believer and I could be baptized with the Holy Spirit as they were in Acts 2, as they were in Acts 8, as they were in Acts 10, as they were 20 years later from Pentecost in, in Ephesus in Acts 19, as the Apostle Paul was in Acts 9. I didn't talk about it. Damascus Road, Jesus appeared to him. And then a disciple came to him and he was born again filled with the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul also prayed in that heavenly language. You say, Pastor, is that available for me? The answer is yes. The only prerequisite to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit is to be born again. That's all you need. You don't have to reach some level of maturity or some level of perfection to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit. This experience is available for any person who is born again. Is that good news? It's a gift that Jesus wants to give every single believer. In fact, my experience with this is that if you receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit, it'll help you root out sin. It'll help you challenge your life. It'll help you walk away from past habits if you'll walk in the light of it. Some people receive this and do nothing with it. They're, they're like the, the uh, parable that Jesus told about the guy who received a gift and stuck it in the ground and it did nothing. A lot of people receive and do nothing, but if you'll walk in the light of this experience, it can change your life. It can change how you live your life and make a tremendous difference in you ministering life to others. What's the only prerequisite? What's necessary to receive? You need to be born again. That is it. If you're born again, you're a candidate to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Let me talk a little bit about how to receive this experience. You could receive by coming down here at the conclusion. We're about to conclude the service here. You could receive today by, by just like in Acts 8 and Acts 19, hands were laid on them. The Holy Spirit came on the people. You can have me or someone else lay hands on you. You can be baptized with the Holy Spirit that way. September 12th, 1976. I was 17, almost 18, and a person, the associate pastor of the church, laid hands on me and a bunch of people that came down front. I was baptized with the Holy Spirit, and I prayed in that heavenly language for the first time in my life. However, you can also receive on your own. I have many friends, just like in Acts chapter 10, while, while Peter was preaching, the Holy Spirit fell, and the people were born again and baptized with the Holy Spirit all at the same time. How many know you can't put God in a box? You just can't. 
And so I've had friends throughout the years, many people in this church that have told me, you know, I was waiting on the Lord. I was praying. I was seeking God. I was so hungry. And, and, and you know what? Something happened. The power of God came on me. And what they told me was I was baptized with the Holy Spirit. And, and I spoke in this language. I did not say this baptism with the Holy Spirit. You can get it on your own at home if you're hungry. Is that good? Or you can call and let me or one of the staff team members talk to you in person, pray with you, help you understand, and then pray with you and lay hands on you. I want to encourage you. If you haven't received this experience, you can receive it today. You can receive it with help from someone else by the laying on of hands. You can receive it at home, or you can come and visit one of us. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you. Don't live without the power of God. I'm telling you the warning I got from the Lord. This is a few weeks ago. The reason I'm speaking on this subject again today is I just knew full well that, that what's coming is really dark I mean worldwide and I don't mean that to scare anybody because God's going to take care of us regardless of what comes, how many hear me but I knew full well inside of me it, 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 to, to be able to, to weather the storms of life that are in our future, we need the power of God just like they did in the early church it, listen, it's going to be not unlike it was in the early church just before Jesus came back I mean, Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you too. If they've kept my word, they're going to keep your word. We need to be ready for the things to come. And to be ready, we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Stand up on your feet.